Well, if you don't know, my name is Brian Telsrow, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And uh, Pastor Sam and I are going to be out in the lobby after the service, so we would love to uh, take a moment to meet you if we haven't had that chance. Uh, So glad that you are with us here this morning. I have a question for us as we get started uh, today. What do you hunger for more than anything else in the world? Kathy Caprino uh, offered a survey to her subscribers in Forbes magazine exploring a number of critical uh, questions and life issues. Working through professionals every day, she heard firsthand what they deeply longed for. But what was so intriguing about these questions or their responses is that in becoming more obvious with every passing year that these things we humans desperately long for today are not only universal, but they're also timeless. But they've also become even more elusive and challenging to access and to sustain. So the key question this survey posed was this. If you could say in one word what you want more in life, what would that be? I want you to take a second, just turn to the person next to you. What was the first thing that came to mind? What do you want more of in life? Well, according to her survey, what was most stated was happiness, was the number one thing that most people wanted more of. And she kind of couched this in the challenging uh, question that came along with that. It was uh, not knowing what I wanted to do is what motivated desire for more happiness. Secondly was money, not having enough money or time to accomplish the things that we want to do in life. Third was freedom. Uh, having the freedom to find my true purpose or to being lit up by my day-to-day work. Next was peace, the lack of clarity for who I am and what my purposes are in life. Next was joy, how to find the right role or or a position for me now that will bring joy in my work. Next was balance. Uh, balancing my need or desire for flexibility while making enough money and having the benefits that I want. Then, fulfillment. Utilizing my potential in the best way possible for myself and for others. And then the eighth, her top eight, uh, was confidence. Feeling like I have something to offer now rather than feeling constantly that I'm not ready yet or I need more training. Now, As we look at this list, I want you to notice what is missing. Maybe you have something that's not on this list that you said. No one in her study, and I have to think that there must have been some believers in the 771 people that they surveyed, uh, said in her study, belief, trust, or faith. Now there's a uh, French mathematician and philosopher by the name of Blaise Pascal. There's something known as Pascal's wager. He makes a practical argument for belief in God, saying he argued that people can choose to believe in God or choose not to believe in God. Either God exists or he does not exist. Under these conditions, if a person believes that that the Christian God and this God actually exist, then they gain infinite happiness. However, if this person does not believe in the Christian God and God exists, there is infinitely sorrow and suffering. 
On the other hand, if a person believes in the Christian God and God does not exist, then this person receives some finite disadvantage from a life of a Christian living. And if a person does not believe in this God and God does not exist, then they receive some finite pleasure from a life lived unhindered by Christian morals and values. Well, as Blaise Pascal states, he said, let us weigh the gain and the loss in wagering that God is. Let us estimate that these two chances, if you gain, you gain it all. If you lose, you lose nothing. Wager then without hesitation that he is. Now, there's more to believing than wagering if God exists or not, obviously. But there's a tremendous amount of risk in not believing that God exists. But some of us need help to believe. It's a lot like the story in Scripture that's told in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, where Mark describes this conversation between Jesus and a father who has a child who is demon-possessed. And this possession causes this child to go into convulsions. And Jesus is having a conversation with his father. And the father says to him, if you can do anything, could you heal him, help him? And Jesus says to him, everything is possible to him who believes. And the father replies, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now there are more of us here today that, I, that are like this father who want to believe more. And we need help with our unbelief. Yes? Yeah. There are times where we wrestle with that doubt and things that happen at times. Well, I share all this to really set up our scripture passage for today from John 6. But before we read this passage, I want to give some context uh, to what we are going to be hearing from as we start to read this passage. Uh, first of all, we heard last week from Pastor John about the healing uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, and this man who had been there for 38 years, and Jesus healed this man at the pool. Next, we have the story at the beginning of chapter 6, is the, st- the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus feeds 5,000 with two fish and five loaves. Over 5,000 men, women, and children were fed. And then as that episode ends, Jesus says to his disciples, go on across the lake. I will disperse the crowd so that you can get out ahead. We need some time away. So he disperses the crowd and then goes up into the hillside. Uh, And so this is the setting at the time where Jesus comes down from the mountain in a sense. uh, And then we have um, this experience that Jesus has walking across the lake trying to catch up to his disciples. And so as this event happened, there were uh, thousands of people there. They've all gone. And it's kind of believed that as the disciples went, people started going around the side of the lake to try to catch up to wherever they were going. And so uh, John and Matthew described this event of Jesus walking on on the lake. But Matthew unpacks a little bit more of the details of this story that I think are appropriate for us. Uh, So shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately says to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. 
Then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. I got to believe that the disciples who were in the boat with Jesus or with, uh, with Peter had kind of turned and said, what are you thinking? What are you saying? You know, at first it may look like odd for, for Peter to make this request, but actually it goes in line with disciple-rabbi relationship because the desire for the disciples were to walk in the footsteps of their rabbi. In fact, there was an expression back in the time, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi because you were walking in those steps wherever they were going. So Peter says to Jesus, if that is you out on the lake, let me come out to you. You imagine what the atmosphere had to have been in that boat at that moment. But what does Jesus say? Come. Peter gets down out of the boat and starts walking on the water toward Jesus. Now, prior to reading this passage from Scripture, I thought Jesus was the only person who ever walked on water. But clearly, Peter walked on water. And as the story goes, he saw the wind and became terrified. And he began to sink. And you can imagine how that might have been in the case because it was windy. There were waves going as Peter was walking. Now, I'm trying to envision Peter beginning to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Now, he must have been close enough because the word says that Jesus reaches down and grabs Peter's hands and takes him out of the water and moves him into the boat. And as Jesus and Peter come into the boat, the wind dies down and the people who are in the boat, mostly the disciples, there may have been some others there, heard Jesus say, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Those that were in the boat said, after experiencing this, truly, you are the son of God. No doubt. Would you? Would you say that same thing? Feel that same experience if you were in the boat with him? Absolutely. But I want you to remember this as we read through the scripture here this morning because it's not long after that some of the people who were a part of these events turned and stopped following Jesus because of the things he's about to say to them. Randy is going to come and read our scripture here this morning. From the Gospel of John, chapter 6. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Randy. Well, you get the scene now. Jesus has just crossed the lake with his disciples. They get on the other shore, and the crowd is starting to gather. They are there trying to find where Jesus is. They finally find him, and they ask him this question. When did you get here? We saw you disperse the disciples, and we saw you go up the hill. How did you get here? But Jesus has no desire to tell them how that's happened. Nor do the disciples engage in that conversation with the people as they ask. No, Jesus cuts right to the chase with them, as he usually does. Very truly, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're just looking to meet your own physical needs. You worked so hard to get here, but not because of what God offers, but because of what the food that you want that spoils, that won't last. We as human beings are too easily swayed from away from the things that really matter. Are what we want, or uh, what we want more of. Uh, the things that we are looking for are usually not as consistent with what the scriptures are talking about. We become deceived in thinking that safety, food, and shelter are the things we want more of. Or that happiness, fulfillment, peace, and money are what we need more of. But what really matters in verse 28 is the work that God requires. And what is that work? That you may believe in the one that he has sent. There it is again. John has written all of this and Jesus has spoken all of this so that we might believe. The story that John told last week about the pool of Bethesda the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, is all about for us to help us to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, he, he just demonstrates his authority over land, body, and nature. Nothing this world has to offer will fulfill our hunger the way that Jesus does. Many things try. Many of us only try the food that spoils. We work for that which does not last. We are as blind as the people who are asking him for a sign. What sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Are you kidding me? All of what he's done up to this point is not enough? You continue to ask for more? But that's what we do, don't we? We aren't satisfied 
with the things that we've seen, the healing of the paraplegic, the feeding of the 5,000. And even though these, some of these folks didn't see Jesus walking on the water, they still doubt as to who he is and what he has to offer. So he says to them, true bread from heaven, that is what I offer. What more do you need? What more do we need? What more do I need? For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is an Old Testament reference to what happened in the time of manna uh, during, in the wilderness, the experience the Israelites had. They all wanted bread and they missed the point of being able to trust God. Yeah, that's it. That's what they said. We just want the bread. In fact, always give us that bread. That's all we want. Give me, give me, give me. This is what I want. Um, this reminds me of a little girl by the name of Natasha. Um, now, Natasha comes from a book by uh, Patricia Polacco. Uh, this was a book that my wife read to our kids uh, as younger. I believe I probably read it a few times as well. Uh, but in this book, Natasha is the grandchild to Babushka. And the Babushka is caring for her, and Natasha is constantly asking for things that she wants. I want this. I want more of that. I want this. And then all of a sudden, she notices there's a doll up on the shelf. And she says, I want that doll. And Babushka says, oh, you don't want that doll. Oh, no, I want it. And she goes into the tantrum that many little kids kind of tendency to go into. And she says, okay. And she grabs the doll and gives Natasha what she wants. And immediately, the doll comes to life. The doll starts to mimic everything Natasha was saying and doing. And pretty soon, Natasha gets completely fed up with the I want, give me, I want, give me this. And she goes back to Babushka and says, here, I can't take this anymore. And she gives the doll back to Babushka. Yeah. I think about how much of us are like Natasha. We want, we want, we want. But we're not wanting the things that we need most. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life who comes, ye who comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. He's offering what they need and yet they still don't get it. I am the bread of life, Jesus says in verse 35. This is the first of the seven I am statements that are unique to the gospel of John. Um, the phrase I am reflects uh, Exodus 3.14 where God introduces himself to Moses with the expression I am who I am. They convey that God always was, always is, and always will be. In using this expression, Jesus is explicitly identifying himself as God and bearing God's presence on earth. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. So whatever else you're searching for will cause you to continue to be hungry. You will never be satisfied, fulfilled, or content. You will, you will always want what spoils. So by coming to the bread of life, Jesus, you will never go hungry again, he says. Never. This is what the word of God says. 
He continues in verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. So, what does it look like to come to the bread of life for us in this time, in this place? It's not long after Jesus has said this to his disciples, a little bit later in the Gospel of John, uh, which we didn't read this morning. He says to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no place, no life in you. No life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real flesh and real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father has sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate the manna and died. And whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So what does it look like to feed on this bread? Well, we did so last week when we celebrated communion. In the breaking of the bread, Jesus makes himself known to us as the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto eternal life. Every time we eat of it, we remember him. He is the bread that comes down from heaven that we are to go to him, believe in him, and look to him. Don't look for the food that spoils. Happiness, money, freedom, peace, joy, balance, fulfillment, confidence, all these things will eventually spoil in comparison instead to look for the food that lasts. Jesus, come to him, believe in him, and you will never go hungry. So what can we do then to never grow, go hungry again? Well, before the Feast of the Tabernacle, which John is going to talk about next week in chapter 7, uh, G John records again more conversation that Jesus has with his disciples. From this time, many of the disciples turned back and no longer followed him. We don't want to leave. Do you want to leave too, he says? Do you? Jesus asked the 12, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? We just sang about this. Remember, Peter's the one who just walked on the water. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. We have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. Can you say that this morning? We've come to believe that you are the Holy One of God or I have come to believe that you are are the Holy One of God. You alone I want more of, to believe, to trust, and to hunger for. 
we celebrate his making himself known to us in many of these facets. All the claims, all the events, all the things that took place so that we could believe in him and experience his life and not to chase all these other things that will eventually spoil. The only thing that matters, the only thing that's going to last, the only thing that will feed us is a relationship with the God who created us. None of us can claim that we do this on our own, but only by the grace and mercy of God himself. He is the bread of life, and we hunger for him alone, and we will never go hungry again. Let us pray. Lord, we give you thanks because you are really patient with us. We hear and see all these interactions with folks who saw this. They were eyewitnesses to these events, and yet they still struggled. They wanted to believe, even as the Father in his Son wanted to believe, but asked for help for our unbelief. Lord, we ask for this same help of our own unbelief as we chase after things that will not fulfill, things that will not last. Lord, help us to know what it means to chase after you, to hunger for you, to feed on the bread of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you make yourself known. In his name we pray, amen.